Hey, I'm Serge. And I'm Peter. And we're with the Future Break Podcast, where we talk about emerging technology, human behavior, and what this means for the future. Find out how Russia is using technology to suppress free speech. And how a school without teachers or tuition is changing the future of education. You can find our show on your favorite podcast player or by going to futurebreak.net. You are now entering the Podglomerate. And we're being sued for copyright infringement. Wait, so do you think that Jar Jar Banks is actually Emperor Palpatine? Um, I'm just going to go ahead and skip all of that and welcome people to the Star Wars episode of Writers Who Don't Write. I'm Kyle. I'm Jeff. We're calling this episode the Star Wars episode, but in reality, we're just talking to three Star Wars novelists and... I just always feel like the novels in the Star Wars universe are the most unloved pieces of it. What do you think, Kyle? Personally, this is the majority of my experience with the Star Wars universe. Um, I was a huge fan of the uh, established universe canon novels. I don't really know how to refer to them because I never talk about it out loud because it's very unpopular. It's the expanded Um, universe now. Yeah, so I was a fan of the novels when I was a kid. Growing up, I read them uh, ravenously. Uh, Young Jedi Knights, you should all go back and reread it. Anything by Timothy Zahn is fantastic. But that's the majority, like outside of the movies, because we never got to see them in the theaters when we were kids. uh, I mean, the books have a special place in my heart. So I thought it was really cool to get to talk to some of the people writing the new canon, uh, which actually, I guess now are being folded into the larger Star Wars universe that includes the movies, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot to it. It's uh, we, we talk a lot to our guests today who are Claudia Gray, author of three Star Wars novels, Lost Stars, Bloodline, and Leia, Princess of Alderaan, uh, Delilah Dawson, author of Phasma, and The Perfect Weapon, which, Kyle, was that a short story? Or is that, that's not a standalone novel, is it? Yeah, you're right. The The Perfect Weapon is actually a standalone short story. You can get it on your Kindle today for $1.99. And then Ken Liu, who is the author of Legends of Luke Skywalker, which just came out, and... Ken was actually a guest on the show about six months ago. So if you uh, like you know, what he has to say, go back and have a listen to the episode. Uh, we, we talked for a while um, about you know, what it's like to uh, write in the Star Wars universe and what that actually means. And I'll leave it at that because the episode is great. Uh, and in the meantime... Uh, We also want to let you know that Writers You Don't Write is supported by CastBox, the fastest growing podcast app around. CastBox also just launched in audio search capability that offers a brand new way to search for podcasts you may love based on words or topics within an episode. CastBox is available on iOS, Android, and desktop, and it works with Google Home and Amazon Alexa as well. So download the app today and give it a shot. And Writers Who Don't Write is also brought to you by Studio Sweden. Studio Sweden wants to revolutionize the way that people see headphones, not as just a tech device, but also an accessory. You can get your own pair of headphones by using the discount code WWTW, which will give you 15% off any purchase. So go to studiosweden.com and enter the code WWDW at checkout. And let's get to it. Would everybody introduce themselves and, uh, you know, talk about how you initially got involved in the Star Wars universe? And let's let's start with that. Claudia. Okay. Yeah. We have to fight for it. Which order we should go in. (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh. Yeah. I think Phasma has bled in, Delilah. I think it's bled in a little bit there. Anyway, I am Claudia Gray. I am the author of 16 novels, including three Star Wars novels, which are Lost Stars, Bloodline and Leia, Princess of Alderaan. And I got involved with Star Wars because I was a huge nerd who goofed around online back in the early 90s with X-Files fans on a 2400 baud modem. And in the fullness of time, one of the people I got to know then wound up being a Star Wars editor. And I had become a writer. And when they came to her and said, do you happen to know a YA novelist who's a huge fan of Star Wars? She was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And so you uh, have written three different Star Wars novels. Is that is that unique in this universe, or do they kind does uh, you know Disney Lucasfilm 
kind of come back to uh, the same authors to write these novels over and over again? Oh, I think I think they come back to people a lot. I mean, if you look back at the old EU, you know, I mean, uh, Timothy Zahn and Michael Stackpole and all of these guys wrote, wrote many novels. And I don't know if there's any sort of policy about that right now. But I think if they enjoy working with you, then they're interested in working with you again. Interesting. And, and Delilah? Yeah. What was your uh, origin story with Star Wars? Um, mine is mine is like a, a subtle stew of, uh, you know, I think first I had, you know, five to 10 years of a career with, you know, a reputation for being easy to work with and for hitting deadlines. Um, and you know, I remember when I was first starting out as a writer and you'd hear like, oh, you have to know people. And it doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean like, you know, you have to have gone to college with somebody. It means that people have to know that they can depend on you to get the work done. Um, it also so happens that one of the senior editors at Lucasfilm is the editor who was the acquiring editor of my first series at Simon & Schuster. Um, she bought it at auction back in 2011. And so she had, you know, liked my writing even back then. Um, and I think, you know, I, I asked my agent to send over some information to them. I begged on Twitter quite a bit. Um, I did a kind of magic spell that involved eating a cupcake <laughs> and wishing on the Darth Vader ring in it. Um, I asked my buddies like yeah. Chuck Wendig and Kevin Hearn to put in a good word for me if it ever came across. Um, and then I kind of built a reputation for writing murderous women. So I think it was um, this great synchronicity of a lot of factors adding up to, you know, that would be a good book for me to write. Interesting. And uh, Ken? Uh, so I'm Ken Liu and... Um... Uh, this is actually my first foray into the Star Wars universe. Um, I am the author of the Dandelion Dynasty series of epic fantasy and, and also uh, hundreds of uh, science fiction and fantasy short stories. Uh, my book for Star Wars is called The Legends of Luke Skywalker. So my origin story with uh, Star Wars is a, is a little bit convoluted, uh, but I like to think that there's some sort of uh, mysterious force involved. Um, so it started <laughs> actually um, uh, decades ago when I was a, was a wee child in China. This was in second grade. And one day the teacher came in with a, um, a box of books. Uh, these weren't academic books. They were just free reading books. And uh, we were to have an hour um, during which we would pick uh, a, a random book um, and, and just read for fun. Uh, and by the time the box got to me, uh, I was presented with two choices. One of them is uh, this book. Um, it, it was a biography of Confucius written for children. And the other book was uh, this, this book I'd never seen before. It had a cover of, of some sort of snow lizard with a guy riding on top of it with a, with a sword made of light. And there was a spaceship up in the sky shooting lasers. Uh, it was awesome. So I picked that book. And my teacher was like, no, no, you have to think carefully about your choices. Uh, our choices determine our destiny. Um, uh, don't you think you want to read the, the, the words of the sages? Uh, and I said, no, I, I, I like the pew, pew, pew part. That, that, that's the part I want. <laughs> Um, so I went for that book, and that book, of course, turned out to be the novelization of The Empire Strikes Back, and that was my first exposure to Star Wars. And so that was how I fell in love with it. And, you know, fast forward 20 years, uh, well, not actually quite 20 years, uh, fast forward, say, a decade and a half, and uh, when I was in college, um, and uh, this was where um, I would I would pull all-nighters all the time uh, to catch up and cram for exams. And there was one time, uh, there was an exam, I had to study for it the night before. And in order to encourage myself to study for it, I went and bought some Star Wars books. Uh, because the theory was, you know, I would study for 15 minutes and then get myself re-energized by reading a chapter of Star Wars because, you know, that was, that was my thing. Um, and, and long story short, uh, as it turned out, my incentive program did not quite work. Uh, I did, in fact, pull an all-nighter, and I managed to finish the trilogy of Star Wars books I was reading, but there was actually no studying done whatsoever. So in the morning, as I was running towards the exam, you know, I could picture my second-grade teacher pointing at me, saying, "You know, your choices matter. See, this is what happened when you when you picked Star Wars books. You know, this is this is why you're going to fail." Um, but as it turns out, I did not fail the exam. And uh, fast forward a, another decade or so, um, Lucasfilm emails me out of the blue saying, would you like to come down and visit and, and, and talk about a certain project? So, you know, my, my thought was, you see, you see, everything in life really does matter. Your choices, in fact, do determine your destiny. It was as if, you know, 
I was I was this this little boy, and and there was some sort of mysterious destiny in the air that would that would guide me towards my future destiny until I ended up you know here with the legends of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean it's it's that's an incredible story. Yeah, and, and you actually Ken for for all of our listeners, Ken was actually a guest on the show. Uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, you can go back and listen to the Ken Liu episode of Writers Who Don't Write. But uh, we are, I, I, I've been, this is, I, I, unlike Kyle, Kyle grew up reading the Star Wars novels. Myself, I did not. I just started uh, actually in preparation for this interview. I've been a huge Star Wars fan. I've seen all the movies 20 times. I've watched the cartoons. Uh, I've played some of the games. And I, I am kind of curious what you all think uh, of the Star Wars universe as a whole, whether it's books, movies, TV shows, board games, video games? Well, for me, I mean, personally, it depends. You know, there's not one answer. I feel like the books, for instance, are definitely positioned to give you more of the story that the movies can't tell. And you're going to speak very directly to big fans of the franchise who want to learn more. You know, but you also have other kinds of branding. Like the other day I went and got a banana and had a sticker of Chewbacca on the banana. (laughs) And I was just like, how is this a Star Wars banana exactly? I don't understand. (laughs) Well, now it's a Chewnana. Chewnana, yeah. I actually texted my editor at Lucasfilm a picture of it. She said, are we attacking the First Order with bananas? And I was like, they wouldn't (laughs) see it coming. They would never see it coming. Well, they have those knuckle walkers. Oh, those things look awesome. Yeah, who knows? Maybe. Then they just slip on a banana peel. Yeah, or they kind of look sort of gorilla-y, so maybe they would just like bananas. Maybe that was like the yeah. the hint I that saw I it. failed to pick up on. I, I think the there's a spinach company or something that put Kylo Ren on their bag of, of salad. So, I mean, <laughs> like they're looking for every branding opportunity that they can get. Wow, that's an interesting theory there. I mean, what happened there? He 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 chopped up the salad for you using his lightsaber? Is that the idea? <laughs> One of the more interesting things for me is like, I think you're absolutely right, Claudia, about how the books serve big fans of the movie franchise, because you can go find more about your preferred characters or your storylines. What was what was your guys first experience with the star with the extended Star Wars universe outside the movies? And I know, Ken, you talked about finding the books, but Claudia and Delilah, I was wondering what you guys might have. Well, I always knew about Star Wars. Like my, I went to my grandparents' house and they had Star Wars sheets on the bed for me. And you know, it's you couldn't really avoid it in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, but back then, also, you couldn't watch movies on demand. Either you saw it in the theater, or if you were lucky, it was on like a Sunday at three o'clock. Um, so you know, you didn't have any control over that. But uh, I remember being very excited when the Ewok adventure, you know, the battle for Endor, all that was coming on TV. And it was one of the first times I was allowed to stay up late and watch something. And, you know, I'm a kid and I figured what I know of Star Wars is that the heroes are Luke Skywalker and, and Han Solo. And, you know, Leia's in there. But like as a kid, especially, you don't recognize how important her her job is. You just see her kind of tagging along. And then you get to the Ewoks and you're like, oh my God, a little girl my age crash landed on a planet of murder bears. <laughs> I'm so in. So yeah, I fell in love with the Ewoks first. That was like my entree and uh, not not to eat entree, but you know, the, the entrance to Star Wars for me. And like, I still have my first, my first Ewok, Princess Nisa is still with me. Hmm. Um, and that's been one of my favorite things. Like y'all were asking earlier about how we felt about the, the galaxy far, far away through other media. Um, I think of Star Wars like history. Um, It's more real to me than actual history, which I find kind of dry and boring. But Star Wars to me is a real world. Um, These are real people. These things happened. Uh, The legends I think of kind of like, did Hannibal cross the Alps? Probably, you know? Um, So yeah, like it's, it's, I feel like that's another thing that they look for when you want to write for them is that like, this isn't a world where you have, you know, everything, you know what it feels like, you know what it smells like, you can describe it because part of your life you have spent living in this world through your senses somehow. And it is, it is really uh, a unique series because it brings in pieces of every storyline from like a lot of different legends that are out there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm curious cause everybody has different cultural backgrounds, but everybody has like something that they're able to pull from the star Wars universe that they can relate to. So is that something that you tried to bring into like your particular stories? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my first novel, Lost Stars, was about original characters who happened to be in the events of the first trilogy. 
and I mean, first is in came out, you know, four, mm-hmm. five, six. First release. Um, right. And it was just sort of asking, okay, what does that look like if you're not the big hero or the main villain and you don't have the big plan or, fo- you know, fire the final shot? What is it like just to live in that world? What do you know? What do you not know? What is your opinion on what's going on? And it was really fascinating to dig into that and examine some of the things they might believe, you know, what the empire might say about what it did to Alderaan, for instance, you know, they had to come up with some explanation (laughs) somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, so that was a really interesting thing to play with, to like really think about it, like not only in that world, but not at the core of one of the big stories, which is of course what we're always going to see in the movies. Yeah. But I think everybody who's a big fan wonders what it would be like just to be there. And you you do a really good job of bringing that out. And we, we read the uh, Leia book for, for this interview. And I mean, Alderaan in the movies for me was just another place. And now after reading that, like, I, I feel like I intimately know it as, as a location, as a home, as a planet, as a city. And, it, you know, it brings a lot more weight to what happens in the films because you now have a little bit more to grasp onto as opposed to just like the general overview of the story with cool flashing lights and everything. Yeah. I'm glad it worked that way. You know, it's hard to make yourself fall in love with something that you know, who is demolished Mm -hmm. uh, to invest in that anyway, but I tried really hard to do that. So I'm glad that it came through. Well, I think this is a question that applies to all of you guys because there's an element of that sort of uh, rewriting history in all of these novels. So I'm wondering how much, uh, first of all, what's it like to write a novel within a, a relatively extensive existing framework where there may already be some lore about the thing that you're writing about? And how much room did you all have to define the arc, the characterization, and some of that rich history that you're talking about when you actually got to delve into the story? And I guess we could start with you, Ken. I mean, for me, I've always been interested in the process by which history turns into legend and myth. Um, And and in fact, the way that the history that moves us isn't so much literal history, but rather the history that we think we know. And so, you know, that's what the Legends of Luke Skywalker is all about. Um, That's that's kind of this is not a book about uh, what actually happened. Rather, it's a book about what people think happened and how people perceive Luke and how people project in, in the galaxy, project their own hopes and fears onto that figure uh, in the same way that we do um, the same thing um, here and now uh, with figures who are famous and who, who have become important uh, in the public mm-hmm. consciousness in some way. Yeah, all all three of you wrote your novels with like very different narrative lenses, and and I think Ken's was the most uh, the most different. I guess yeah, I was going to say Ken's very much uh, read like an oral history of some of the events. I was the the question was particularly directed towards the the story of Lugubrious Moat, uh, which is actually just a retelling of the events in the Rancor Pit and then back in Jabba's Palace, which I thought was a it was such an interesting way to delve into an established history where everybody knows that story. At least Star Wars fans know that story very well, because it's something that you see um, point for point on the the screen in Return of the Jedi, but to hear it retold through a different lens with uh, establishing different motivations for characters who had already done actions. I thought that was a really interesting thing to do. Well, I mean, for, for me, I'll just uh, very quickly say this. Uh, for me, what, what really sort of motivated uh, that particular story is the way that Star Wars itself um, is is somewhat unstable in terms of, of what is the story there, right? Because what has always intrigued me is the, the way that Star Wars itself seems to be unstable as a matter of canon and, and, and what is reliable and what is not. Because as we all know, uh, when the special editions came out and when the films were re-released, there were, there were important changes that changed the way we perceived the story or what the story was supposed to be. And so I wanted to sort of push that even further and see if there are other ways to reinterpret the events uh, and and to question really what is the story that we all know and and ultimately for for this book it doesn't matter uh, because these are legends about Luke and I think there's an element of that um, in yours as well Delilah but it's sort of from a different 
point of view, I guess, because you're establishing uh, the backstory for a character we're just really getting to know in the new trilogy. Um, yeah. To, so can you talk a little bit about how much, uh, I, I mean, you're also establishing histories for characters outside of Phasma. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like in terms of developing characters within a framework that's still being built? Sure. Um, I feel really fortunate in uh, the exact moment that I was brought into Star Wars because um, everything I've done has been new canon and has been related uh, to the new movies, which means I've had an unprecedented amount of freedom, I feel like. Um, having spoken to you know a couple of writer friends who have written you know, stories tied into some more established characters, a lot of the times when I would go to them and ask questions, they'd say, just make it up. You know, I'd say, well, could she be from this from this planet? And they'd be like, no, nah, make it up. So I got to make up a lot of things. And the lovely thing about that is, is you can't really be wrong. Um, so I was kind of playing God more than librarian, which is a <laughs> better role for me. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Phasma, especially, um, the, the main, the main, goal of the book was that we wanted to explain why she so easily agreed to shut down the shields on Starkiller base. Um, and that, it, you know, it wasn't an act of cowardice. It wasn't that she, you know, was secretly a resistance fighter. She has a reason, um, but it's, it's not what you expect. Uh, so basically as long as that kind of goal was met, they gave me a whole bunch of leeway, especially in Phasma's backstory to help forge her into the weapon that she is. Um, and you know, when I said, well, can it be kind of like bad max? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we all agreed that that was, you know, the, the way to go. So yeah, I feel like, um, a lot of, of my process for her and also for Bazine Natal and the perfect weapon, which was my first star Wars story, um, based on a mercenary that just had a brief few minutes in the force awakens is I just got to make up a ton of stuff. And then, um, as one often does when writing a star Wars book, I would, you know, put in a line about uh, Armitage or Kylo or whatever and just kind of hope it could stay in there. And you, you want to sometimes see what you can get away with. Um, how much of it did you get away with? Um, more than I thought that I would. <laughs> Are you allowed to say? That's great. <laughs> Is this a touchy subject? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious if, uh, you know, you had any, like, who did you have conversations with? You know, were you speaking, I, mean, I assume it wasn't like the actors or the writers on the films or anything, but, uh, you know, is this something that was controlled from Lucasfilm or from your publisher? Uh, there are many closely guarded secrets about this subtle interplay that brings books about. Um, like uh, Ken said, I also got to go out to the San Francisco uh, Lucasfilm, um, you know, building and, and have a meeting to discuss things. Uh which there were many faces around that table who shall remain unnamed. But we do work with the story group and we have our editors and assistant editors. And when you get that uh, first draft back, you have never seen such a rich comments <laughs> section with so many people. I love that. That's uh, I, I really, really want to know the response or who is at that table now. But uh, you know, I know that you cannot say, so I won't, I won't push it. But yeah, there's this one guy, he will totally force choke you if you yeah. talk about it. So. I, I absolutely echo Delilah's points. It's it's exactly like that. Uh, but, but you know, also as Delilah says, I, I found it amazing that how much freedom I actually had to do the things I wanted to do. We we were actually emailing with, uh, I don't know if it was a publicist or, or somebody who represents the publisher. And, and one of the points uh, that was stressed upon us is that you all basically have the freedom to do anything in one sense. What you all are doing is fan fiction, except like, because, you know, somebody has said, okay, this is Canon. Now it becomes part of the general storyline of the whole universe. And that seems kind of unique to me in, in the literary world. I think it's less unique than it used to be. I mean, um, you know, I bought tons of tie in novels all throughout my adolescence and my twenties not just Star Wars, but Star Trek, you know, you name it. And, you know, I believe the old EU was considered canon, mm -hmm. but there wasn't anybody going, no, you can't do X or Y. It was, a, it was a closed canon, which gives you a lot more freedom. And with Star Trek, you know, anything could happen in those books. Like Spock's a space pirate, <laughs> done. You know, um, and it, it, you never assumed any of it had actually happened. Um, now I think you do see more universes being a little bit tighter with this. Star Wars, I think, is certainly 
the the tightest about it because they really do want everything to work mm-hmm. together. And I've sort of experienced both extremes because with Lost Stars, they were completely new characters from a completely new planet. In the events of the first trilogy, which we all know, you know, that's established, it's out there, I can look at it all. Um, and I had a lot, and so I had tons and tons of freedom there. You know, at one point they told me I couldn't have a Star Destroyer in one place. That was the only thing that I bumped into canon on at all. But the other two are about Princess Leia, who is, of course, a very established mm-hmm. character. And, um, you know, and we know her history and we know a lot of the steps in her life. So I was working with that, but that was, I actually enjoyed having that, that frame to work with. And, um, you know, and of course everybody connects to Princess Leia in some way because she is such a big part of the movies, which is both the greatest thing and the worst thing about it because everybody loves her, which means if you get it wrong, everybody hates you. That was going to be you my know? next question um, is like, what, what's the fan response been like for, for you all as authors you know, you were entrusted to continue this brilliant story. Uh, I'm sure that you're getting a lot of feedback from both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, for the most part, the vast majority of the feedback is really positive, really warm, really enthusiastic. And, and that makes me, you know, really happy to kind of, you know, get down and just be, you know, a nerd with people. Um, you know, every once in a while you do run into, into someone who is perhaps a bit too fervent mm-hmm. on, on some level or another. I had one guy actually come up to me at a convention this fall. Like he was angry. He was like visibly angry. And I realized like he was upset that the old EU was no longer considered canon. And mm-hmm. somehow he thought I had something to do with this. <laughs> you know, I was like, are you going to go to Disneyland and push over the guy in the goofy <laughs> suit? Because he's about as related to that decision as I am. You know, but I mean, he was like, visibly like tensed up and angry and i actually kind of had a couple moments of like it's security around here you know you anything as huge as star wars and i don't know that there's any fictional universe bigger than that you know you're you're gonna run into into one or two odd moments but again those are the exceptions and not the rule that's great to hear um, and I'm I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. But I wonder how that sort of existing universe and the knowledge of that potential reaction affects the way that you write a character as well established as Leia. Like how did how did you approach the decision making process in terms of deciding where the story would go and how much of it you would drive versus how much you'd let the character drive? Um well, first of all, I do want to say, like, uh, it's it's really very true that you get a lot of leeway to determine the arc and content of the book. I mean, very nearly as much as you would have with original fiction. My first and third books, they basically gave me a two-line prompt. You know, Bloodline had about a page and a half, but most of that was explaining the politics in the galaxy before The Force Awakens. You know, um, and as long as you sort of hit those two points, you really have a lot of liberty. Um, I wish I could tell you that I had some big analytical process behind, like, oh, this is how I'll write Princess Leia. But this really does go back to being a little seven-year-old kid with, you know, Star Wars coloring books and, you know, uh, my own Princess Nisa. I had that too. You know, I'd spent my whole life going, what would it be like to be Princess Leia? And finally, somebody was like, we will give you money to do that. Here you go. Um, what, yeah, one thing that was interesting is Bloodline, the first book I wrote about her, she's older. She's, you know, just a couple of years before The Force Awakens. And then the second one is she's 16, which is before we ever see her in canon, even in Rebels. So it was sort of interesting to project her into the future and then go back and try to project into the past. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to see that because, I mean, in that book in particular, it seemed like you kind of had to thread like a very specific line because, you know, there's so much that happens before and after it that you have to, you know, make true and and it's more than just leia in that particular instance because there's just like every piece of that is mm-hmm. going to send like a butterfly effect to everyone else so in terms yeah. of of like your actual writing style and process for each of these each of these books you know what what was that process like uh you know you were given a small prompt you wrote this thing you gave it to the publisher and then I mean, I guess I'm more curious, and we hit on this just a little bit, but like, what has the reaction been 
do you feel like you're part of this inner circle that exists with only people who are like creating part of this universe or do you still feel like the fans that you've always been? I don't, I don't think inner circle. I, I think maybe, you know, you sort of feel kind of like Pluto, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm out here, you know, not really a planet anymore, but I'm sort of way out here kind of, um, you know, you're definitely not at the inner circle of what happens. You know, the, I mean, the core mover of the story will always be the films that that's always going to be true. And that's fine. You know, I mean, I'm a fangirl. I want to go see the movies just like everybody else. And there have been times I wouldn't let them give me spoilers for things because I wanted to go see the movie fresh, you know, so I'd turn in an outline and they'd say, really, you can't have that. <laughs> I want us to tell you why. And I'm like, no, no, you know, I'll just guess what would work. So what? Um, how, how, I, how many spoilers like do they offer? You know, like, are you aware of the plot lines of the next films like before other people, if it's per- if it pertains to the project? I got to go read the script for uh, re- the, La- the Last Jedi. So you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing. I was sitting there with like a giant latte. Like, I, it was it was incredible. And I'm like, the first time I just read it through super fast. I had three hours with it, and like, it's a big deal. You have to check it in and out. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I took, and then the second time I took notes, but it's. I haven't told anybody outside of like my, my family that I've read the script because like, it's just so good. Nobody wants to know ahead of time. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I would like people, to know if you want to spoil it. No, people, like, <laughs> no I, don't, I do not want to Whoever know. leaked the no. book last week, whoever leaked that book, like shame on you. This is, this is a once in a year, you know, maybe 10 times in a lifetime. If you're lucky experience that you get to go watch this in the theater. And like, I, I, I I don't mind having it ruined because getting to write a Star Wars book is uh you know one of the my life dreams and I couldn't have written Phasma without reading the script but I I wouldn't want anybody else to miss out on how great this movie is. Yeah, I, I also got to read the script um uh, about a year ahead of time and with the earlier ones like I said I wouldn't let them tell me much about the Force Awakens but I didn't need to know tons i really almost didn't need to know anything for lost stars for bloodline i needed to know what was happening with han and leia and a little bit of what was going on with their son so i knew that that who kylo ren really was but you know i didn't know for instance that ray was the main character Mm -hmm. you know that was still a surprise to me and i'm really happy i got that with the last jedi i did end up reading the whole script uh and like delilah i enjoyed it immensely but um you know, in the end, though, I was sort of like, I really kind of only needed this bit and that bit of the script, but I'm not going to go like, how dare you let me read the whole script? You know? <laughs> but yeah, you have to sit in a room and the, the pages are red. So if you were trying to take pictures, you know, that not that so I cool. was, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that. Well, the funny part is how they give you a really tall drink. And then they're like, if you want to go to the bathroom, you have to check it out. And you're like, but the guy's not there and I'm going to die. <laughs> it's just like, like two gallons of Java the Hut latte. I, I was allowed to go to the bathroom unmonitored, but I think the area I was in was pretty secure mm-hmm. anyway. So that's probably why. But yeah, that's that's the kind of attention to detail <laughs> that you're dealing with. It's funny that you mentioned this because uh, Mark Hamill was on one of the Tonight Shows, um, one of the late shows last week. And he, he told a funny story about how he got a different script for Empire Strikes Back than everybody else did. And, it, you know, it was, spoiler alert, I mean, 30 years later. Yeah. Really? Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, you know, he got, he had, he was him, uh, George Lucas and the, there's a third person who I don't recall. Uh, but they were the only ones that knew that, you know, Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker was Luke's father. And, uh, so he, there, he had a really funny line about how Harrison Ford, uh, you know, said something to him at the premiere after he saw it, he goes, kid, you didn't tell me that. So it, it was, it was really good, but I mean, it's, so it's surprising to me that, that you all have read the script because I mean, I know they keep that stuff like a, an incredibly close guarded secret, but good for you. That I mean, I mean, my point is that I, I think not everybody gets to read the script. I mean, just like Hattie yeah. was saying, like, I did yeah, not yeah. need to know the script, so I did not read the script. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got a, uh, what I needed to know. Yeah. You got bullet points or something. Um, yeah. I mean, keep in mind that we, yeah, we've all signed NDAs mm-hmm. that, you know, like if, if we were to, to slip up, I think, you know, the first penalty is you lose a kidney and then it exactly. goes up from there. 
You you only need one. You're gonna obey. Yeah, good good on you all for establishing yourselves as writers that uh, you know are of the caliber that they would you know ask you to to join this project. Jeff, tell me a little bit more about Castbox. What is Castbox? So Castbox is an app that you can listen to podcasts on. It's available basically anywhere that you would ever want to listen to a podcast. iOS, Android, desktop. It also works with Google Home and Amazon Alexa. Uh, There are ranked lists and categories that will tell you what's hot right now. Uh, They have a lot of editor's choice suggestions. They have some featured shows. Uh, And one of my favorite features is you can actually do in-app search. Uh, So you can you know, search a podcast based on words or topics that you like. Uh, and the search function will actually pull those out um, from episodes or shows specifically. So, you know, say I want to learn about Bitcoin, it'll tell me all of the different shows out there that are talking about Bitcoin uh, so that I don't get caught in, in a, a maze of my own habits. It sounds useful. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty great. Download the CastBox app today and try it. Let me tell you about Studio Sweden. Currently, the headphones market can offer you one of two things, style or tech. And Studio Sweden is trying to change that. They sent me the tray model, that they look awesome, and they fit perfectly into my ears. They even send you like two or three different cap styles, I think is what they're called. So if you got weird shaped ears like I do, you can switch it up. Uh, My favorite part about them is that they do not fall out of my ears when I run, which is a very hard thing to find for me personally when it comes to Bluetooth headphones. uh, I can't say enough good things about them. If you want to check them out, go to studiosweden.com. You can get your own pair of headphones by using the discount code WWDW, which will give you 15% off any purchase. That's studiosweden.com and enter the code WWDW at checkout to get 15% off today. I want to, there is a question I have about collaboration. So you were, you were offered to read the script if you needed to, or if they thought it was appropriate, but was there any opportunity to collaborate with some of the other storytellers within the extended universe? If you thought it tied in, um, for instance, in, in terms of your writing, Delilah, were you able to reach out to the writers of the next movie to figure out if there was any more existing backstory they had been working with? aside from the script to tell the story of Phasma or? Um, they, they gave me everything that I needed and they were always really helpful in answering my questions. Um, you got to remember Phas- Phasma was written like this time last year and last January, um, way ahead of uh, publication. So it was, you know, it was a different time then and some things were and were not complete. Um, but they were really helpful in that they sent me like the Force Awakens visual dictionary. They sent me the book with the cross ship, uh, cross cuts of the ships so I could see like what was inside an Imperial Star Destroyer. Um, they sent me Chuck Wendig's Empire's End before it was out. Like I had a, an early document of that because I needed to see how the world dovetailed into Force Awakens. Um, Claudia and I talked some, um, I guess when I was writing Greer Savell, who came from Bloodline, um, and so, yeah, it's like we're the Star Wars writers are, are a clan of really lovely people. And if we can help each other out, we can. And, you know, we all I feel I think everybody understands that if, if you have a piece of information that can help the next writer and they contact you, you're more than happy to help them. Yeah. And outside of the books written by this particular set of Star Wars authors, what what are your favorite Star Wars novels? For any listeners that may not have read any of them, where should they begin? I mean, with us, obviously. I really enjoyed Beth Revis's Rebel Rising, like a lot. I enjoyed that a lot. It's it's Jen Urso's backstory, although I honestly, I may have enjoyed the Saw Gerrera stuff the most. Sort of like, what was that like being raised by Saw Gerrera? I mean, just from the little bit you see in Rogue One, you know that, you know, that was that was not exactly, you know, leave it to Beaver in space. That, that was going to be a very different experience. So I really enjoyed that one a lot. Okay. And, you know, as Delilah was saying, everybody should, of course, start with all of the novels written by these three, you know, wonderful authors. Uh, but Delilah, what what would you, you know, ask everybody to begin with if it was not your own or everybody else's books here? Well, I, I feel like that's really, um, you know, I'd ask somebody what, what their favorite genre usually is and then um, look back over the books to see what would appeal the most. Because, you know, if you're into young adult, you'd like Beth Revis's Rebel Rising or you'd like uh, E.K. Johnston's Ahsoka. Um, if you're into, you know, more the science fiction aspects, um, you know, you would like uh, Catalyst and um, what I read the uh, 
Cobalt Squadron book that's coming out is is more science fiction based. If you like fantasy, you're going to like the old school stuff where they were um, more heavy into the Jedi and and into you know the the Vong Wars or the Mandos. Um, but I think whatever whatever your genre is, you you can find a, you know a, at least a trilogy or a standalone of books in the Star Wars world that's going to appeal to that core of your your favorite reading books. Very true. Very good statement. Um, and Ken. Uh, I was going to recommend the uh, anthology um, from a certain point of view. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's an anthology of, uh, I believe, 40 um, stories um, that, that basically are told from the point of view of minor characters or characters in the background of A New Hope. Um, and uh, it's, it's a really fun uh, uh, anthology, and, and the stories are arranged in the order of the moments in the movie. So reading through the anthology is sort of like, seeing an alternate version of the movie, uh, sort of a legends of, of A New Hope, if you will. Yeah, I mean, my, my to read pile, and I'm not just saying this, I actually mean it, is, you know, has grown substantially after, you know, both talking to you all and also, you know, just doing the research for this interview in the first place. Because, uh, I mean, the current canon novels are... 30 or 40 books strong. And then there's, you know, the expanded universe as well. Did you, did any of you have any like experience writing these novels prior to uh, the acquisition from Disney? I wasn't part of the OVU nope. at any time. No, okay. nope. Except here. as a buyer, <laughs> yeah. a reader. Yeah. And, and do you, do you have any, uh, you know, like opinions on how that may have changed the course of the universe at all? Like, are there any storylines that you wish that they would have brought over? Well, you know, they there are things that are being brought over sort of, I think it's on a case-by-case basis, mm-hmm. uh, Admiral Thrawn mm-hmm. being the most obvious example. Yeah, Thrawn is such a good Yeah, movie. and I think Kyle grew up reading that one too, so. My favorite thing is just that as soon as they um, started the new canon, it meant that Chewbacca didn't get killed by a planet. So thanks a lot, Bob Salvatore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I fell off a treadmill when I read that book. Like I was at LA Fitness, like working on the treadmill, and I read that, and I like did the comic like face plant zoom off the back of the treadmill, and the guy next to me was like, "Oh my god, are you okay?" And I was like, "No, my heart." Much so, no. Um, so I think now we're at the point in the show, and we usually transition to talk about the story that you've either struggled to tell or you found a way to get past. Um, but we are going to try and do something a little bit different for this episode and talk about maybe either a plot point or one of those things that had to be left on the cutting room floor because you either couldn't work past it or um, I guess, you know, we could get into the territory where it was something that was nixed by Lucasfilm, but I would leave that up to you guys to decide. So maybe we can start with Claudia again. Yeah. Mine, mine is pretty self-evident. I think when I was writing bloodline, you know, it's, it's princess Leia. And even though Ben isn't in the story, I wanted her to think a lot. I mean, she's a mom. She's not going to just not think about her son the entire time. But I had a whole lot of stuff in there sort of about his childhood and, you know, different things that might have happened and his personality. And they were just like, you do understand that this is a character that will be primarily revealed in the movies. You know, I mean... And like, yeah, fine, okay. You know, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense to me in retrospect. Um, and I did find a way to balance that. You know, we sort of found a balance that had Leia believably concerned with her son and his life without getting into too many details of stuff that obviously, you know, they're going to leave for like Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams to resolve. Um, was there any particular aspect that you really, really wanted to put in but just couldn't? Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about his personality. You know, I, I think at one point I had him described as sort of like um, moody and imaginative or something like that. And they're like, nope, nope, nope. I was like, oh, come on. If you're going to fall to the dark side, you're probably at least a little moody, like a little somewhere. But they were just like, nope, that's not happening. And now that we've seen the movie, I I think it's obvious that he's moody and, ina- and imaginative. But, um, you know, like... That was one of those things that, I, and I understood it. It made total sense to me. I was, I was pushing up against that boundary, but I completely understand why that was so. Um, and how about you, Delilah? Um, we, uh, we had 
an entire outline that we lost, you know, for these books, you'd go back and forth with synopses generally and, and hammer out a, an outline and then, you know, really expand that out. Um, we lost an entire one where I'd built this whole new planet that was, uh, you know, just to show what it looks like when the first order arrives, um, because we don't really see that. We see them blowing things up, but you don't see that some of these planets, they show up and like they're the savior. Some planets, they show up and they are like kind of begrudgingly dealt with. Um, but, you know, we, we lost an entire outline and, and months of work. It was so bad they sent me uh, cookies that day. <laughs> and then the email, it was like, we have some bad news. Um, and then I also, uh, if you if you read Phasma and you, you have read about the detractors, um, yeah. I wanted her to be a straight up cannibal. And they were like, yeah, we're Disney, so pull it back a bit. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so, okay. Yeah, I wanted I mean, to be... To be to be fair, I kind of liked where it ended up. Yeah, it's a little. I mean, it's 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 like watered down cannibalism that you rub into your skin. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, originally, I was, I was, I was like, it. you know, let me hand you a cone of meat. That's your dad. <laughs> wow, very you know, Greek I there. S- Greek mythology yeah. there. Oh, well, I mean, Phasma's full of Greek yeah. callbacks. Like that's it's definitely in there. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Um, man, that's that's a, such an interesting characterization to learn about after reading through it. Um, I wonder how much that would have changed the story to just make them straight up cannibals. I feel like um, you know, with Disney, they they're so wise um, up the line, and I, I feel like the the end result was was great, and and it makes for a, a strong and compelling story that doesn't turn anyone off for the wrong reasons. Um, it was really important to me in writing this book that it be a book that, you know, if you've only seen The Force Awakens, you could read this book and feel very at home. Whereas if you'd read the entire canon and were very at home in the Star Wars world, it would feel like the old canon. So, you know, I'm kind of glad in the end that we didn't Mm -hmm. go with something that would, you know, turn off part of the readership for, you know, the only reason of amusing me because I like Hannibal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it would have it would have been interesting too because it would have added like an entire new like layer of evil with the, (laughs) the First Order. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought part of the interesting thing about the the Phasma novel was that it does establish some sympathetic motivations for the first order. Like they are the the uh, am I allowed to say the planet yeah, you can name? Say the planet name. Spoiler? Okay. Parnassus is presented as someone that might benefit from the obvious technical advances that the first order has to bring and actually having a bureaucratic structure of rule would probably benefit these people trapped in a nuclear wasteland. So I think I, I thought that was one really interesting part of it. It's like the first order is not, uh, this is obviously before they blow up all those planets with billions. Well, of they're very choosy it, but... about who they help. And I think that they, they probably only help you if they need something from you. Exactly. It's all for their own benefit. Yeah. So Ken, how about you? Was there anything that you had to, uh, that was difficult to work past or that you had to leave on the cutting room floor for Legends of Luke? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I originally wanted to uh, create as as broad a range of voices and tones for these stories as possible. And I wanted to do one of the stories as essentially a, a mini epic poem um, written in verse. Uh, and then I realized that that was not going to work. Uh, the book is, in fact, intended for 8 to 12-year-old readers, even though it's meant to be enjoyed by readers of all ages. But I think that would have been something that I would have enjoyed doing intensely, uh, but that would not necessarily have served the book well. So I dropped that. I thought it was really cool how you presented the story. And, and also, uh, Delilah, you did you did something similar, but it's all through uh, like the point of view of another character. So you know, if if in fact it does rub against a canon in the wrong way, you can just say that like that particular character uh, was repre- misrepresenting the story. Yeah, plausible deniability. Yep. Exactly. Ken, what was the first story that you wrote for Legends of Luke Skywalker? That was one thing I did want to ask. It was, in fact, um, the story of Lugubrious Moat. Uh, that was the one that ha. sort of started the entire idea for me. So, yeah, I wrote that one first. One of my questions was going to be, it, like, what are your predictions for what what is to come? But you've all already read the script, or some of you have read the script. So I, I can't ask that. Uh, but... I, I do want to talk to you about like what what are your favorite pieces from you know just the Star Wars universe? Like, is there a favorite like character, book, film, planet, uh, you know, event that you just always come back to is like your comfort food? How do you pick just one thing? I mean, yeah. oh, pick pick I as mean, many as you want. 
You know what? I'm just going to pick the thing that has me obsessed right now. Um, about a month ago, my boyfriend introduced me to the game Knights of the Old Republic. Yes. <gasps> oh my God, yay! Yes. And I have done nothing <laughs> else in that time oh God. but play Knights of the Old Republic. Like, that's all I want to do now. Say that's, goodbye to yourself. That's all I want to do. Uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I still haven't even completed all the rounds, all the way, I, all the ways I want to. And he's like, you don't understand. There's an infinite number of ways you can do this. And, uh, <laughs> you can't tame every cat hound woman. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm on Manon as of yesterday. Um, I'm real undecided about that assassin's guild. Uh, but <clears throat> anyway, but, you know, that's a very recent thing for me, but I think that's one of the joys of a universe this big and this fun you know, there, there's still stuff for even avid fans to discover and explore. And this is sort of just the latest thing for me. That's so exciting. Yeah. I, it, it actually, I, I'm going to, cause I think that this is in relation to Knights of the Old Republic, but I might be like screwing up my games. But, uh, <laughs> when Kyle and I, when Kyle first discovered that I was a Star Wars fan, he wanted to like test my knowledge. So he asked me, you know, what a kyber crystal was and and <laughs> yeah, i do recall right. in that game having to to find one right uh you 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 collect a lot of things from dead bodies which i admit is at first sort of like caught me aback i'm like this is mostly a grave robbing game really <laughs> well, at least like, it's not a know? cannibalism game yeah <laughs> as far as i know i mean i don't know where this thing is headed uh anything time for kotor 3 <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah exactly exactly um yeah, and also just for my own amusement, I name all my characters so that they're ancestors of characters I've written in the books. <laughs> and just like, I know that in my brain and nobody else knows it. And that may have been the dorkiest thing I've ever admitted to out loud. So if we run into you on the online world, we will know you by your character's name. Well, the Knights of the Old Republic is, is you know, self-contained, which I actually really enjoy. Is two online? Um, Huh? Is one of them online? Am I thinking of the wrong game? I, maybe two was online, or uh, for all I know, maybe are, one. Are, are just playthroughs, and then Swotor is the online one. Uh, yeah, no, it's I'm just on the laptop playing, and and I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, there are actually there's stuff um, in Phasma that is um, little nods to my husband's like Swotor guild, and one of his characters <laughs> is named Randorus. So yeah, it's <laughs> we slip everything into these books that like no one could ever know every subtle <laughs> reference. Oh yeah, so many of my friends are planets or nebulas or aliens. Yeah. I made yep, my brother right. an Athorian, which is a hammerhead. Oh, they're you the know, best. You have to do it. It's it's like yeah. Disney where everybody sneaks in their own like practical jokes. That's great though. <laughs> I, I bet you Randorus in real life is is you know at the bar bragging to his friends about being included in the book. Well, it's my husband's character. Oh, so, is it? Like, he just runs around. Okay. And is like, yeah, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, and I, I like how um, he, he tries to help out Phasma to a point. Like just you know, take the beating, but not too hard, you know. I pictured it like the Rock. Like that's what the Rock would do. Yeah. If he was living on this planet, you know, he'd be like, "Come on, you can do it." <laughs> Even though you kicked my butt. Yeah. Um, oh wait, so Delilah, what's your? Yeah. What, what what is your Star Wars comfort food? I I love the animals, so I love like the Ewoks and the Wookies and the Tauntauns. Like I'm just an animal person, but then I also really love uh, any scene that's in a cantina, Maz Kanata's castle, Canto Bite. Like I love just those lush scenes with a whole bunch to look at. Those are, those are my favorite. Hmm. And how about you? Uh, I love looking at the way uh, the machines are just uh, show a history to it. You know, every piece of machinery in Star Wars, when you look at it, they, they show some sort of history. It's, it's being jewelry rigged. It's being repaired. It's, it's got discolorations on it. It shows that, you know, this is something, that people have worked on. Uh, it's not just a, a prop. I, I love that about it. Yeah, that's that's um, a nice touch. Since we can't ask you where you think it's going, I want to I want to finish with this. Is that if you could write it, if you could write a next Star Wars novel about one character or event, uh, short of everything that you know about the new movie, what would it be about? What would you pick? I'm. I would really like the the two things that I would really like to do. I'd like to do an early resistance novel. Uh, I think that would be fun somewhere between, I guess, bloodline and the force awakens. Uh, I think that'd be fun. 
And I also like, I really, really hope that if they ever do a book that's about young Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon on Mandalore and Duchess Satine as a girl, like I've, I've literally gone up and gone, if you ever want this, you have to give it to <laughs> me or I will find you. I, I will figure out where you live. You have to let me try that one. So, you know, hopefully someday that would be a real dream come true. Ken? Uh, I don't have one. Um, I, 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 I like to um, sort of let ideas stew around a little bit and, and see what I've got. Um, uh, I, I, I tend okay. to like stuff that's uh, a little bit um, unusual, I guess, because uh, I, I want to do things that, that take place outside of the known timelines. Uh, so if there's an opportunity for me to do something that's entirely outside of the known timelines, some little corner of the universe where I can do a thing that connects thematically to the main stories, but not directly um, will interfere with the canon pieces. That would be ideal. Interesting. Okay, hmm. that's a valid answer. Yeah. Uh, and Delilah. I mean, it's it's kind of um, it's a super tough question because I think once you're writing Star Wars books and you've gone through this process, it's it's almost like in a video game when certain characters aren't unlocked and there's so much that isn't currently unlocked in the Star Wars galaxy. So mm. I know the characters that cannot be written about. Um, so <laughs> given what I know, I would love okay. to um, continue Cardinal and buy um, and see what happens there. I think they're, uh, okay. that could go in a lot of different ways, um, but I would love to see what happens to those characters. But that being said, like Star Wars knows, like they call me, I'm here. If they're like, we want you to write about Chewbacca's <laughs> son, Lumpy, going to school. I'd be like, sign me up for Lumpworts. Like I'm there. Where can our listeners find you guys online? Uh, probably your first stop would be uh, ClaudiaGray.com. It's gray with an A. My website is whimsydark.com. W-H-I, that's my dog. He likes it. W-H-I-M-S-Y-D-A-R-K.com. And you can find me on kendu.name. That's K-E-N-L-I-U dot N-A-N-E. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. And, and I, I hope that uh, the new movie, it sounds like it will, but I hope the new movie you know, continues to make us all as happy as, as the old ones have. And uh, the Star Wars universe is great. So everybody should pick up these books. We will put them in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. This has been an episode of Writers Who Don't Write, Star Wars edition. Uh, we want to thank Claudia Gray, Delilah Dawson, and Ken Liu. You can find all of them online. Claudia Gray is at claudiagray.com. That's G-R-A-Y.com. She's the author of three Star Wars novels, Lost Stars, Bloodline, and Leia, Princess of Alderaan, as well as 13 other novels that you should check out and are all listed on her website. There's Delilah Dawson, who is at whimsydark.com. W-H-I-M-S-Y dark.com She's the author of Phasma and the short story The Perfect Weapon part of the Star Wars canon If listeners are a fan of Phasma then they should check out Delilah's hit series about a teen mercenary as well as her shadow series starting with Wake of Vultures and written as Lila Bowen Look for her next book, Kill the Farm Boy, out in July. And you can find Ken Liu online at kenliu.name, K-E-N-L-I-U dot name. He's also the author of The Paper Menagerie and The Grace of Kings, which is a trilogy. Uh, and you can learn all about those in Ken Liu's episode of Writers Who Don't Write, which aired about six months ago, so go back and check it out. Uh, we want to thank Ryan Dan of Holland Patent Public Library, who did the music at the top and the bottom of the hour. You can find him online at hollandpatentpubliclibrary.com. We also want to thank Ben Sound of bensound.com, who did the music that you heard right in the middle of the show. We want to thank CastBox for generously supporting the show. Download the app today and give it a shot. And we also want to thank Studio Sweden. You can get your own pair of headphones by using discount code WWDW, which will give you 15% off of any purchase at studiosweden.com. Enter the code WWDW at checkout. You can find us online at thepodglomerate.com or by searching Writers Who Don't Write. We exist wherever there is something to do with podcasts. We're also online at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to check out uh, some of our happenings, behind-the-scenes clips, and uh, all the fun news that is going to be coming out in the future. Uh, we will be back with a new episode in the new year, and we are working on having something for you uh, in a couple weeks. Um, 
but it will be a rerun because Kyle and I want to have a break. So thank you all so much for listening and tweet us what you think of the new Star Wars movie at WWDW podcast on Twitter. Podglomerate, a sonic universe.